Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail. It's always happy hour somewhere. And enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, guys. It is Monday, July 6, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and I hope you guys had a great 4th of July weekend. I know it was a little weird in some places. I know some of the gays got a little carried away in Fire Island. Some pictures coming back, not too good over there. Uh, everyone having a serious dance party with no masks and no social distancing. We can do better, boys and girls, mostly boys. Um, we don't want to bring this thing back. A lot of my friends in New York are afraid you're going to bring it back to the city again when you travel back today or yesterday. So we got to pay attention to this. This COVID thing is not going away anytime soon. It's going crazy in a lot of the country. I had to cancel my big gay road trip. I was supposed to be on the road as of yesterday. Yesterday's my big day to leave. I'd be driving cross country all this week to be in beautiful downtown Palm Springs to start four weeks of shows next week. And that is not happening because of COVID. Um, LA and San Bernardino County is not doing good. And if we party like they did in Fire Island, New York City is not going to be doing good as all. And that's just starting to open up. So let's pay attention out there. Other than that, I hope you had a good 4th of July. I got to go to the river, uh, do some fireworks, a little barbecue. It was a very nice weekend overall. Didn't spend too much time on my computer at all. So there was that. I did stay off news and did not find out till this morning that Nick Cordero had passed away. Nick is a absolutely fantastic Broadway star, also been in other television and movies. Um, amazing singer, his wife, Amanda Klutz, um, been by his side since he was struck with COVID three months ago. I mean, the poor guy was through it. He had a leg amputation. He was in off and on a ventilator. But through the whole time, his wife and his little son, Elvis, were there. And just a heartbreaking story. He passed away yesterday from covid after going through all that and fighting so hard to survive. So my thoughts and prayers go out to his family for sure and to all my Broadway and acting friends that um, knew Nick and considered him a friend and a colleague. So very sad news. I didn't hear about that yesterday. Also, it's Music Monday, so usually we have a special correspondent Every Monday, either Zach Day from The Voice, who is scheduled for this week, or our buddy Jay Knight 
from Buffalo's scheduled. Zach was scheduled to be special correspondent tonight, and he found out over the weekend that he has COVID, and he doesn't know how he got it. Um, He's in a lot of pain. He's not requiring hospitalization right now, so knock wood, keep him in your thoughts. Uh, He does work a side job besides his music. He works a side job at Starbucks, so who knows if a customer came in Nashville and uh, infected, who knows what happened, but my thoughts are out to Zach Day. You can uh, send him some cheering up, guys. Go to his Instagram. It's you know Zach, Y-O-U-K-N-O-W-Z-A-C-H. You know Zach at Instagram and Twitter. And send him a little love because he is hurting right now. He's in some pain. He's quarantined at home. And we want to keep our fingers crossed that it does not get any worse than where he's at now. He's a young, good-looking guy and uh, has, has should get through it all with his health being his age and everything. But you got to be careful on it. So, And he's by himself in Nashville. So send him all the love that you can. And, Zach, I'm thinking of you. I love you, buddy. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. And we hope you get better very soon. But we do have two musical guests today, so on a positive note, um, because I was supposed to be on the road all week getting ready for the big gay road trip in Palm Springs, I have pre-taped a lot of interviews the last two weeks to play while I was on the road because I didn't know if I'd have internet service or phone service traveling across this great country of ours. So all of the interviews this week, except for tomorrow, I am going to do a live interview since I end up staying home. But the rest of the interviews are all pre-taped last week, and I have some great interviews for you today for Music Monday. It's Ladies' Day here on the Left of Straight Show. Two fantastic, great singer-songwriters to bring to you. First up, in just a couple moments here, is going to be Nat Puff, also known as Left of London. She was a Vine sensation, had jillions of views on Vine when it was a thing, uh, still huge on Twitter. Amazing speaker, singer, songwriter, advocate. We had a great conversation last week. She called in from her home in Washington, not too far from the uh, Chaz zone there. So great conversation with her in just a couple of moments. we got two songs by her. And then for the second hour, we're going to talk to Rachel Sage, who also has an amazing story herself. She has a brand new video out, new music that is part of her healing process from cancer. She had a cancer bout, and as she was starting to feel better, she started to write this new music. And we had a great conversation last week. It's all very positive, very sweet, great music by both of them. So I'm so excited to share these ladies with you tonight. Uh, just some great music on a great musical Monday. So we're going to start that in just a couple of minutes. Not too much else in the news today besides, like I said, on Cordero. And if you didn't see it last night, last night was the Noah's Ark reunion called The Rona Chronicles. Very much up to date and prescient in today's society. It was written very uh, recent. It was streamed on YouTube and Facebook last night. You can go to YouTube and check it out. Of course, it follows the um, 
brings it up to the to the present of Noah's Ark cast, including Daryl Stevens, who starred in it, who's a fantastic actor. Rodney Chester, who was on my show um, a couple weeks back, talking about his new movie, As I Am, which he is hilarious in. Um, so, yeah, the whole gang was back last night, uh, original writer-director, and it was called The Rona Chronicles because it is very much set in the present. So if you missed that last night, head on over to YouTube for sure, and you can catch the streaming. Plus, they had a little reunion show ahead of time. So you can talk to, listen to the cast speaking about the reunion. So that was a great show last night. Um, lots of stuff going on in Netflix right now. Talk about that. The Politician is on now with Ben Platt, which I absolutely love. And lots of other good stuff happening on streaming right now. If you, if you like Hannah, uh, kind of like a Nikita um, is out there right now. A chick that just kicks butt, trained, trained to kill. So some great streaming on there right now. We have some new stuff finally because I know we all ran through our Netflix and everything before. But July is bringing new content for that. So that is exciting stuff. So we're going to jump into it tonight. I'm going to play my first interview up with Nat Puff, a.k.a. Left at London. We're going to start off with a song by her, play our interview, and then another song by her. I'll come up in between, and then I'm going to bring back Rachel Sage for her interview and two of her brand new songs. So it's a musical Monday right here on Left of Straight Radio. If you're not following me on Left of Straight Twitter and Instagram, it's at Left of Straight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight. Also, I have the Left of Straight Show page on Facebook and my personal profile, Scott Fullerton on Facebook. It is public. You can send me a friend request. And then I have my great interns and I'm not having them in the studio this week since we're playing pre-taped interviews, but all my great interns that are working so hard for me right now, putting some great videos together, and they're posting on their social media channels for the show, and that is at Left of Straight Radio. Left of Straight Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook page is Left of Straight Radio. So give them a follow as well. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and start. Here's a song by Nat Puff, and we'll be back on the other side of it to uh, introduce the next guest. So enjoy. It's a great interview.
friends, we are back. I am so happy to have my next guest on. She was brought to my attention by my intern, Royal, and I'm so happy he reached out. She became an incredibly popular personality on the original TikTok, Vine, which has led to an impressive career in comedy, music, and writing, including her own poetry. She currently has over 174,000 Twitter followers, many due to her popularity with young adults and teens in the LGBTQ community. She is a lesbian and non-binary woman and has spoken on TED Talks and appeared at EXO festivals and just done some excellent speaking all over the country. I'm excited to learn more about her story, so please welcome to Left of Straight Show for the very first time, Nat Puff, a.k.a. Left of London. Nat, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing good, doing good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you holding up in the first half of 2020? It's been a weird year for everybody. They had us in the first half, not going to lie. But (laughs) um, I don't know. I've been quarantining. I've been working on music while I'm quarantining, and I've been stressed as as heck. So uh, working on that. Good. I mean, we're, we're all being creative and sleeping and eating too much, and that's all just in the first three hours of the day. So there's no right or wrong way to do a quarantine <laughs> pandemic, right? <laughs> crazy, crazy. Well, do me a favor, Nat. Share with my listeners a little bit of your background. Uh, where did you grow up, and what kind of a kid were you? Well, um, I have been. I was born and raised in Seattle. As far as like <laughs> growing up goes, uh, my my dad is a musician. He's like a session musician, and he also works for like music for movies and television and video games. Uh, so he kind of got me introduced to the concept of like mu- the music industry pretty early on but it was a very niche part of the music industry that I ended up not even like being really involved in I I started playing piano when I was in like third or fourth grade or something like that but I forgot all of it immediately after I graduated the class (laughs) and uh, then I went into guitar and then that became my main instrument and uh, then like right as I started college I decided to start like trying my hand at production as well uh, it was sort of a transition between just like making demos for fun, and then it slowly became like, okay, I'm making beats for like actual songs. Like I'm actually satisfied with these instrumentals. So uh, cool. that, sort of, that was sort of like my uh, my transition into beat making. Nice in Seattle area at that time. It was known. It's kind of history making for its different musical styles. Um, did you get into the Seattle music scene at all? Um, or notice any big transition in there? What What do you see the scene like in Seattle nowadays? Well, it's uh, I've always been involved uh, in the Seattle music scene, even if it's just like just the popular stuff or like the local acts that are small or up and coming. I've been trying to I've been trying to get more into the local scene, but right now it's really hard to go to house shows, obviously. But uh, right, otherwise. Right. Uh, Otherwise, I've been, like, interested in, like, you know, the entire grunge era, Hendrix, Blue Scholars, stuff like that. Nice. I lived in uh, Portland, Oregon for four years, so I kind of was on the adjacent fringe. We had a good good run of it in Portland, and I would go up to Seattle on occasion. And I loved, like you said, the little music houses and different uh, different little clubs out there. It's so much fun. I want to talk a second about your coming out story. I mean, you transitioned to the public eye. When did you first come out to yourself, and when did you kind of first find your LGBTQ tribe? Probably like 2014 or something like that. Like, <laughs> I, I I knew I was trans way before everybody else knew that I was trans. Like, I knew I was trans for like like 
four or five years before I started. Oh, okay. Here's, here's actually a good way to compare it. I realized I was like, I first started questioning I was trans and like coming to terms with it about two months uh, before Channel Orange came out. And then I went on HRT <laughs> about like a week, like the same week that Blonde and Endless came out. That's a good time reference. I like that. I think our community will understand that well. <laughs> Very nice. I yeah. Like that. Super duper. Well, let's go a little bit into your career. I'm going to do a lot of questions from Royal. My intern is so upset that he can't be here today, but I want to talk about different parts of your career. Let's talk about the comedy. Have you always had this great sense of humor? It's very kind of just, I was watching a couple of your videos from XO Festival, a couple of different things. Where do you find your comedy source from? Um, my brain? I, <laughs> I, I, I don't really know how to answer that question. I, I guess it's just like with my comedy stuff, it's just like, okay, what do I find funny? What's the intrusive thought of the day? And then I just sort of like, you know, run with that and then gotcha. let it let it sort of like take its own life. Uh, well, no, not take its own life, but, you know, like uh, create its own uh, create its own life. I understand. Well, talk about Vine. I mean, you were huge on Vine. I never understood Vine. I still don't understand TikTok. Talk about that experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Honestly, Vine was, it was a strange experience just because that, like, I started getting a platform on Vine right as I turned 18. And as somebody in my life pointed out recently that, like, oh, you started Vine when you were 18 and, like, got famous through there. So you've been, like, popular online for, like, your entire adult life. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. It wasn't until after Vine ended that my Vine started, like, blowing up. Like, I had a lot of vines that were popular and stuff like that, but they weren't considered classics or anything like that until after Vine shut down. Like, people weren't quoting my vines back to me until after Vine shut down. So I'm like, okay, that must mean that, I don't know, I felt I felt a little Van Gogh-ish uh, in that sort of sense. That's funny. I love that. And what, um, what were you surprised that took off the most? And what were you kind of like, I thought this was going to go farther. <laughs> Talk about the extremes of Vine. Oh, like in like in Vine? Oh, okay. So I have two yin-yang sort of Vines that sort of represent, uh, like, what I thought was my most funny Vine and what the universe, I guess, thought was my most funny Vine. Uh, so there's the haha I Do That video, which was just, like, something that I made as just, like, a casual thing. I just saw that, like, meme, and I was like, like, like the meme that it starts out with, like, the who else tucking the leg in, and I just felt like, this is, like, not even a punchline. This is just, like, hey, who else does this thing? It was very, like, it just seemed very lazy to me and, like, sort of crowd-pleasing. So I was just like, I just want to, like, make fun of that. And so I just... <laughs> did that sort of like a throwaway vine and then it got like 23 million loops like before the shutdown my most favorite vine that i did was actually one of my least popular i think i think it's because that i i made it before um i started getting a platform on there it starts with the beat of thrift shop and uh i say i'm gonna take your grandma's life and then there's like a pause and then like you hear this announcer go mackle murder Starring Ryan Lewis as Thrift Cop, this sh this TV show, and then like it keeps keeps on going. Uh, but like I was just like, okay, damn, that's three Macklemore jokes in one Vine. I I, I feel like this will this will blow up, and then it never did. And I was like, well, damn, tough crowd. <laughs> I guess, goodness gracious, working your butt off there to no payoff. 
What do you think <laughs> of now this big transition to TikTok? Are you liking it? Do you? Uh, what do you think about this now? And it's long form, so it's a lot different than Vine ever was. But what are your thoughts on it? I have a mixed relationship with TikTok because, that, like, you know, some people are like, OMG, it's the, it's the person from Vine. I'm going to follow her, and wow, she has funny content on here as well. But at the same time, <laughs> like, TikTok has censored black and gay creators, and I'm just very wary of that going into any sort of platform that does that. So, like, like not to, not to be a downer, but, like, TikTok as a movement is great, but TikTok as a company, is, there's some shady stuff. I we'll talk really, about that for a second. I'm Let's expand really on it because, like I said, I don't know these things at all, and don't go beyond what you're comfortable talking about it, of course. But it says I'm not familiar with it at all. What is what is the downsides of TikTok for the creator? I didn't know anything about them marginalizing content from certain users. Oh yeah, I mean, like I've I've seen some articles and stuff like that, but like none of the information is retained well enough so that I could like you know go on a whole rant about it, but. There was like a there was like a whole movement I remember that was like Blackout Day recently, which was like okay, TikTok is not showing their black creators, uh, like they're not oh, giving wow. uh, their black creators as much of a platform. So like, pretty much on this day, which was like a couple weeks ago or something like that, a couple weeks ago or a month ago, uh, like it's only like it's only black people posting on TikTok and like um, doing resources for or like white people posting resources or like uh, leading people to their favorite uh, black TikTokers and stuff like that. Oh, I do love that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was oh, a nice moment cool. in the community. Yeah. We, I, I just, I, I have the face for radio. I don't have the, uh, the, I don't hmm. do the, the video stuff Nat. So I never understood that. I, I, so impressed by you and everyone else that can do those platforms like that. But they're a lot of fun to see, but I don't like hearing the ugly side of it. But I guess everything has an ugly side to some extent or another. Talk about yeah, your Some writing. sides are less uglier um, than the others. Yeah, there you go. Talk about your writing and your poetry a little bit. What inspires you? Um, what do you hope to do with it? Are you going to – do you think I'm publishing it? Do you publish it? I want to publish my poetry, but I have to write more of it. Honestly, I've been kind of lackluster in terms of, like, writing just, like, straight-up poetry, but that's just because of, like, my life uh, changing and my own identity shifting and, you know, trying to figure out, like, what I still want to do with my career and, like, how I want that career to sort of shape and form. And, like, poetry, as much as I loved doing poetry and as much as I still like the idea of doing poetry it's just like it doesn't come as easy for me anymore and that's just because of like you know my brain has changed my my life has uh has um improved and declined in certain areas you know and it's just all about mm. that balance no that's that's very interesting i love i love the way you kind of put that uh so that so your influence is your own life then obviously on poetry talk about um your outside influences what inspires you as far as things you see music-wise or your inspiration for your music? The thing that's always weird about answering, like, like what are your influences in music, poetry, or any other art form is that I don't really, I don't really have, I don't really, like, look at specific artists 
as influences. It's always just I'm influenced by whatever I consume. Literally anything, whether it's like things that I like or things that I dislike even. I'm inspired by uh, so so much these days. Just, I don't know, I'll hear a song, like one song, uh, and I'll be inspired by it. And then like never even remember to listen to the rest of the artist's discography, which is like a problem. <laughs> but like I, I, I have been inspired lately by um, the lyrical and uh, intensity of fetch the bolt cutters and the energy and uh, like the palpable energy of 100 gigs. And what do you hope your work does for others? What kind of uh, do you are you doing it purely for yourself, or do you have kind of a a message behind it you hope are getting out there? My motives for being a songwriter change as my life does. I feel like no matter what, music is very central to me, but like my motives for doing music change. Uh, a lot of my current inspiration right now is just the concept of processing what's going on in my life. Like um, the last thing that I released musically was a song that I posted only on my YouTube. I don't know if it's going to go on streaming services or not, just because that it's just like, I just needed to get my thoughts out. But um, it was called as blue as a bruise. And it's like one minute long song about uh, cops and how much I am not a fan of cops. And because uh, <laughs> I like, I never set out to like write a song about that. I just was like, I need to write my feelings. And my feelings in that moment were like, it was like a day before uh, Chaz slash Chop like formed in Seattle. Like I had people I knew going to these protests and getting hit with tear gas and like texting me and stuff like that. And like um, I had like known people involved in that and I, I could like I, I hear fireworks outside my house and stuff like that. I've had a disdain for cops in the prison industrial complex for um, a relatively short amount of time in my life, uh, which is like, you know, that's proof of growth. But um, I, I, I feel like for the past, like, what, like five, six years maybe, uh, which is relatively small considering the length of my life. But um, <laughs> but as, as Blue as a Bruise was just, like, me trying to say my feelings on cops in a musical form. And it wasn't, like, I, I didn't want to, like, write a protest anthem or anything like that. I just wanted the sound to be made and I wanted my opinions to be heard in a respectable manner because I, I know that as marginalized as like the marginalization that I experience is still not as uh, related to um, you know oppression by cops as like the black community and the indigenous community uh, experiences so I, I just wanted to sort of respectfully put my thoughts out there without overshadowing or over cluttering sort of uh, that whole movement well, that's what artists do, and, and you do it well in a lot of the pieces that I've listened to your work on. Uh, talk about being in that area. Have you gone down to that uh, Chaz area at all? Is that something that you're interested in doing? Um, I've had a couple friends that live in the area that have gone to it, and totally different than what you see on the news, obviously. It's much more peaceful in a lot of ways. Um, have you decided to go down there? Is that something that you can do psychically? I don't know if I would be able to do it. <laughs> with everything else going on but i've driven past it and like looked at the murals and stuff like that as i was just driving past it uh, and the thing about 
Chaz is that like it's a really beautiful looking area and the fact that people want to destroy it is just so so self-centered and pointless it, it seems like I don't know it's like when you hurt a movement that is meant for the progression of all people you're hurting yourself even if you are a person that benefits from oppression like you are hurting yourself well said no i i understand what you're saying there what does your work do for you cathartically how does 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 it feel like that kind of experience once you finally get it out there when you get this blue song out and stuff what does it do for your psyche and your well-being i think the thing that songwriting does for me that therapy does not is that like it I feel like songwriting is very much more like meditative than therapy, which is much more like spur of the moment, talk about your feelings. Like I have to meditate on it to make sure that like, you know, everything rhymes and everything sounds good uh, melodically. And like, like in terms of the, uh, I don't know, pentameter and the, the dialect and whatnot, making sure everything sounds good. But when you're doing that, you're also meditating on the situation that you're writing about. And that sort of mm. makes you uh, more aware of the situation that you're writing about in your own life. And that is something that has been super important to me because, uh, like, I I have songs that are um, unreleased uh, that are, you know, might get released soon that are very personal and about situations that I have either written before or haven't written about before. And, like, writing about them made me understand some things about the situation and my views on said situation, because I feel like as self-aware as I'd like to pretend that I am, I don't really process trauma till I write about it. And mm, that okay. is really important to me. That is really important to me. And it's like, it's like how I, it's like how I was like dealing with like not being able to transition when I was like a teen. Gotcha. All right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you sharing that. What I mean, when you talk about that, you've been this uh, kind of, I guess, social media or somewhat famous for all this long a period of time. What has been the absolute best part of it for you? And what do you kind of wish, looking back on it, that you either handled differently or hoped it didn't, wouldn't have happened at all? Like with fame specifically? Yeah, just with getting the notoriety that's come with you. You're just being you, right? So you're doing all this stuff, yeah. being your best version of you you can at the time. What has been some of the best part of it? What's been something that's like, uh, I wish I would have maybe either learned a different lesson or just this was really sucky time. <laughs> I, uh, a fan of mine recently reached out and told me that they went to one of my concerts and like that was how she found out she was trans, um, and which is like, wow. Like, Jesus, I, I, I didn't know that I had that impact, but I guess, like, in terms of the negatives, um, I've said this before countless amounts of times, and I'm not sure if I've ever said it in an interview, but um, fame is, in, in any capacity, even if it's small internet fame, can completely stunt your growth if you let it. And I, mm. like, because the thing is, fame kind of almost wants you to, just stop growing as a person and just coast on the current person that you are, even if that person is like a negative person, which is why we see like a bunch of toxic a-holes just sort of running the industry. I feel like if you're self-aware enough and if you have a good support system around you, then like you can really sort of like escape that, um, that, that, that kind of, um, 
negative effects because otherwise you're just sort of like in trouble. Right. Wow, that's so well said and profound, though. I appreciate that. Um, talk about, we are um, finishing up Pride Month here. We're at the end of Pride Month. Talk about how being part of the LGBTQ community has influenced your work. I mean, that's super broad, obviously, but talk about any specific um, pluses or minuses that's really influenced your work being part of the community. Near all the stuff that I wrote in high school was about me being trans, and nearly all the stuff that I'm writing now is about me being a lesbian. Mm. Okay. And like, how do, whether how that's do you like think? love. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. Um, but it's whether that's about like love or heartbreak or just like dynamics in the community. Um, it's like a lot of what I think about because it's a lot of what I live. I understand. And, and it's a very unique experience being both uh, non-binary and lesbian. Talk about living in those worlds and, and making those worlds kind of fit in your headspace and everything. You talk about that now. Share with the listeners a little bit what that's about as much as you're comfortable sharing. Uh, I'm not sure if I understand the question. What does it mean in your experience to be both non-binary and a lesbian? It means that, like... It means that I'm not a man and I'm attracted to people that I'm not, that are not men. Like that's, that's like pretty much the way that I describe it. I feel like um, language as specific as it is, has, um, has a lot of vagueness where people sort of like create their own definitions. uh, And that is included in like, like sort of like how sexuality is a spectrum and people label themselves in different ways. There's a lot of different ways to be non-binary. Uh, and I feel like the way that I'm non-binary is just, I'm not a man. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> I'm like part, I'm part woman. I'm part something else, but I'm not, I'm not like a 100% man. I, I, I like the occasional masculine term. I, I like referring to myself, uh, kind of like tongue in cheek, kind of just like a fun way to mess <laughs> with my own gender, and that's just sort of like how I experience gender and how I experience my own body and presentation. I feel like anybody else who also is just not a man, I'm also very much. I'm I'm normally like I see you okay, like I don't know. <laughs> I love that. No, I hear you. I like that a lot. And uh, Royal asked, what would you say to all the other trans artists out there trying to make it? What is your best advice to others out there in owning owning their own selves and uh, just creating their art? There's like a jokingly, there's like a part of me that jokingly wants to answer like, let me have this. But uh, uh, my actual advice for for, uh, trans artists out there is like, um, I guess, I guess I'll say an anecdote to sort of like sum up what my thoughts are on this, but I, it took a long time for me to be recognized by my peers in the music industry, I feel like, and it's still hard for me to get recognized by the occasional music peer. And um, I remember there was this one time I was like at this industry thing and most of the people in there were men and like almost all of the people that weren't men were like the dude's girlfriends, I I felt like I was just kind of like a lone wolf in terms of like not only being like one of the few like women artists there, but like I was also one of the few, I was one of the few like LGBT people in the room. Like it was like me and like 
one or two other guys. Uh, but like the thing that I sort of like was understanding was that despite the lack of diversity in the room, I was there because that I deserved it. And the thing is you have to be okay with yourself taking up space. Uh, a lot of mm. times we are told not to take up space and in doing so we sort of believe that we don't deserve taking like taking up space. We like get shocked when good things happen to us. And that is behavior that although it's sort of created as a defense mechanism is sort of not necessary, especially when it like is in an industry where you have to assert yourself so much. You really do have to assert yourself a lot in the um in the music industry and in any sort of entertainment industry because you are advertising yourself. You are the product so to speak and right. whether or not there's like there like you know i have my issues with that as an anti-capitalist but um like that's just <laughs> the reality of the situation that's what you just have to do you know no exactly no i like that and kind of in those lines yeah, so it's like, uh, no problem uh so as far as like so as far as like making sure that you are um you know being an artist that people can sort of latch on to, you really have to assert yourself. I feel like the best trans artists, the best uh, women artists, the best LGBT artists that I know of assert themselves in different ways. Uh, almost none of them are like, you know, I'm not really that good. You know, like, like nobody's like that, like uh, that I see like really succeed and really be happy with what they put out. And so it's really a getting to a place where you can say, like, this is my music. It rocks. Deal with it. I hope you like it. <laughs> and, like, getting to that point is, like, the most important part of, like, um, of like um, advertising your music to, like, gain a wider audience. And uh, that can only be achieved when that can only be achieved when uh, that sort of mindset is changed that, like, has been created as a defense mechanism. Right. Okay. I love that. Man, very, very cool. I can see why you're a speaker. Talk about what has been one of your best experiences on stage. You've spoken, like I said, at some fantastic conferences, some TEDx. What do you get out of your speaking, and what do you hope others are getting out of that? I'm not sure. It's really weird because I feel like I'm very articulate in, like, professional settings, like interviews and stuff like that. But I feel like I'm an absolute, like, dummy when it comes to real life. <laughs> so, like, I'm not <laughs> sure what to say because phone interviews always blur that line for me where it's like, all right, this is, this is, I can be, like, half articulate and half dummy mode. And, uh, right, <laughs> like, right now I'm just, like, laying, laying on a pillow and just uh, with, with my phone on my stomach, like, Head, hands above my head, sort of like an a Ferris Bueller uh, DVD cover style. I'm just chilling, talking about, you know, what I want to. And uh, as far as like being a speaker or anything like that, I don't, I don't try to be. It's just sort of the role thrust upon me. Like I don't consider myself an <laughs> activist really. Like that's not my, that's not like my bag, for example. Uh, it's just, it's like I want to be involved in activism, but I don't consider myself an activist, which I guess might be like now that I'm saying it, like, I have this, I have this sort of, um, I, I've said this sort of thing on an interview, like on a podcast or something like that before. I said it on a couple of shows, but I, I always say that like, like I always recommend that like musicians start doing cooking more often because that it like helps me, it like, it helps me sort of like discipline myself in a way that really helps me discipline myself through music. Uh, and, um, <laughs> 
And, like, in doing so, I, like, mentioned that, like, you know, cooking can be anything. Like, can, like, make box mac and cheese. And if you add the little seasoning or something like that, that's cooking pretty much. And, um, <laughs> and like, uh, I guess I should have the same uh, attitude when it comes to being an activist slash doing activism. Because it's also sort of, all right, if you do this activity, then you are this thing. And uh, you are this, you are doing occupation, kind of. So it's like, like, I'm not like a professional activist. I'm not as involved in activism as I'd like to be. I, I do like to be active. I do like to be outspoken and stuff like that. There you go. Well, I think we learned a little insight there. Ladies out there, if you want to have a good meal, you need to get Nat when she's being creative, and you'll get a meal out of it. I like that a lot. <laughs> very, very cool. <laughs> well, let's uh, finish up and wrap things up here with we're getting out of Pride Month here. As I said, what does Pride mean for you, and where um, – what is it? I mean, we've gone such, through such a conflict of feelings with COVID, with Black Lives Matter, with everything happening during Pride Month, where are your kind of thoughts as we round out this month? Well, the thing about the uh, both the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement sort of like coming to a climax during Pride Month is I feel like it's very, very fitting because that I feel like Black Lives Matter as like, you know, like the movement's lasted for years and years and years since uh, Trayvon Martin died. And um, and the fact that, like, we are now protesting for all black lives, including uh, those who are trans, those who are gay, uh, those who are just, like, within the community, um, is really, really, um, like, reminiscent of the community's roots in sort of – because so much of the LGBT community has been, like, has been um, very um, – What's the word? I don't want to say reliant because it sounds like dependent, but like like in an unhealthy way. But I feel like I feel like so much of LGBT culture is very much uh, based uh, around um, the inventions and the creations and the activism of black LGBT, um, the black uh, members of the LGBT community specifically. And like that's right. like obviously not that's that's obviously not like a thing that like is uh, my own thought. This is this is stuff that has been like taught to me throughout the years, and uh, I feel like the combination of like uh, a civil rights movement happening during Pride as well as just sort of like COVID sort of like isolating people and kind of revealing who are kind of idiots in America. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like I, I don't know, seeing people like not wear masks and like throwing tantrums because they can't wear, a, they can't not wear a mask in a Trader Joe's or something like that. It's just like, I feel like the dynamics between the entitled, the entitlement of privilege and the um and the like community building of marginalization coexists within the like most bitingly relevant pride month that I've ever lived through. I've never felt I, I've never felt simultaneously unfocused on my own identity, yet so focused on the community, which I think is very uh important to sort of like decenter ourselves from that conversation because that the LGBT community is a community that although we are a part of, we aren't the only parts of. And it really sort of like brings perspective into 
what what we have to do uh, for the community uh, and other communities that we aren't a part of but are as marginalized or more marginalized than us. So as long as we are sort of like going to, as long as we are going uh, into Pride and exiting Pride with that sort of in mind, mind uh, then that that's the most important thing that I think that we can take away from this specific Pride. I feel like this Pride uh, is one of the most important prides to remember because that it's not it's it's not about celebration as it is much about liberation, and that is what pride was supposed to be about in the first place. Very true. In fact, I just interviewed someone today. Uh, Eric Stravine just wrote a, a LGBT history book. Actually, it's on the New York Times bestseller list, and that was very much his posit that we are based on a lot of. Uh, the black culture before us, in fact, I mean, one of the early sayings was gay is good was based on black is beautiful. And we based a lot of our uh, activism and everything on how the black movement really came together in the 50s and 60s. So I think that's very well said. and Smart insights there, my friend. Very, very well said. Yeah, it's, it's very, like, commonly said that, like, the Stonewall riots were started because of people of color like it's mentioned often because that it is extremely relevant it's the reason that we have the black and brown stripes on the new pride flag and like we have like house music and ballroom culture because of like like we have drag because of black creators in the community it's extremely vital that like that is recognized that like so much of our community and so much of all right, I'm about to, I'm about to get a uh, real real uh like key for y'all before before we uh head out. But um, uh, one concept that I've been sort of like being taught about more lately is just the idea of Western like the idea the sexual the the Western ideals of sexuality and gender are are only changing to be um, slightly more inclusive to the wide range like the wide array of sexualities and gender that were sort of like diminished or um erased because of colonization uh like i have a friend of mine who is filipino and like one of the things that she says is that like his gender is very much based not in western ideal of gender and sexuality that like the the pronouns that he uses are only just because of how limiting the English language is. Um, so much of her gender is anti-Western and, like, based in her culture of, like, being Filipino and, like, sort of hearing that and sort of understanding that in a more, like, getting to know him as much as I have has really sort of, um, has sort of, like, uh, expanded my ideas on uh, gender and sexuality and sort of how limiting Western culture is to all sexualities and genders because that it's infinite. And, like, now I feel like, and a lot of other people feel like uh, Western ideology is very limiting towards sexuality and gender. And it's the reason, like, like, Western ideals of sexuality and gender are the reason that, like, we are oppressed in the first place. Racism, uh, like uh, homophobia, transphobia, um, any type of ism can pretty much be like rooted back to like colonization and imperialism. And it's very important to acknowledge that in our fights for um, a more just society that, that like imperialism, colonization and capitalism are very, very, very oppressive to all of us, but will single out 
people who do not fit the certain status quo of even people who are like respectfully seen as respectfully gay or like palatably trans and stuff like that like it'll even like it'll it'll attack everybody no matter where in the community that you are and so it's really important to sort of to sort of like focus on how to for me as a white person I have to sort of understand like how much of my life and my ideas on everything has been shaped by western colonization just sort of those ideas that have been forced upon people throughout history so that's like one thing that has been really that has been one thing that has been really integral to me this pride no i agree 100 percent, and i can't uh, finish anything or add anything more profound than that i appreciate it napath it's been absolutely amazing getting to know you talk about thing um hopefully this covid thing starts to wind down a little bit we see it spiking again what is your goals to get back out again? Do you have any places you'd like to go out and perform at, or what is your goals for the future here? Well, I pretty much just want to go to karaoke. That's all I really want to do. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to be able to sing BYOB in a different place that's not the shower. There you go. Small but lofty goals. I like it. Well, Nat, please share for all my listeners where they can find you at, my new friend. Uh, com has all the information to all my music, but I am available on Spotify, Apple Music, and not Amazon because fuck Jeff Bezos. Thank you. I like it. All right. Stay on the line, everyone. We will be back in just a little bit. Uh, Nat Puff, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Stay on the line for me. We're going to play out to a little song from Left of London. Here, You're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. I hear the drizzle of the rain It's falling from my window Corners of my mind I hope that I'll get to see you again La-di-da-di-da-di-da-di-da My friend, I hear the colors in the flowers Oh, oh, oh. Just like the candles snuffed at dawn you're here, you're there, and then you're gone. La da 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 Tell me, did you know I love what burns so yellow? 
Songwriter who started her very own label, Empress Records, two decades ago and continued since then to release vibrant and dynamic albums covering a wide span of topics. She's toured with some of the most incredible talent, including Annie DeFranco, Beth Hart, Sarah McLaughlin, and more. And her music has also reached over 10 million YouTube plays with her song placements, including 22 songs on the reality show Dance Moms. The video to the song we just played dropped recently, absolutely gorgeous. The song was composed as a meditation on gratitude in the midst of her own personal cancer recovery. We're going to talk all about that, but with the state of country right now, there's a little something in it that we can all find calming, I hope. Please welcome to the Leftist Trade Show for the very first time. Miss Rachel Sage. Rachel, how are we doing today? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. You are the highlight of my Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> it's, well, it's, back uh, at you, my yes, friend. thank you. I love it. Thank you so much well, for coming on. The music is incredible. So glad to be able to share it with all my listeners. Um, you've been having a, a year and a half or so, huh? Goodness gracious. I have. We're going to have to go. Yes. I, How are you, you know, holding up is, among other things? It has been an odyssey for me personally the last year and a half, but, you know, I think we're all on a level playing field of surreality at this point, aren't we? So um, if nothing so else, I, I, it is. And I think my, um, you know, my, my experience as a, a cancer survivor, I think it armed me with some of these skills that we all need day to day just to make it through everything that's going on. So I am ever grateful that now I know how to meditate. I, I am especially, this is a little bit tongue in cheek. I know you started off on a serious note, but I, I can't linger there long. It's just not my nature. <laughs> but, but all of these months of learning how to eat healthy and, you know, how to shop from these exotic organic produce websites, et cetera, these are skills that have come in extremely handy in these strange times. So, you know, I'm just doing my best. <laughs> there you go. I bet they have. Well, we're going to talk all about this journey you've been on before the music even. But you have been busy during this time off besides using those great skills. I mean, you've had live streams twice weekly for the last month yeah. and a half. This album drop. I mean, this has not been time off for you. You're a busy girl. I am. But, you know, I think I start to go, as we say in, in Yiddish, I start to go a little mishuggy 
if I have too much time on my hands. And, you know, I'm an artist. So these are, these are uh, times where I think we need everyone involved in the arts to sort of collectively chronicle everything that's going on. And, you know, it just feels like, like the appropriate thing to do to stay as engaged as I possibly can and not to check out, although it can be tempting at times. But, you know, I think uh, in addition to just being grateful to be alive and being grateful also to to be witnessing a lot of very positive change and inspiring change that's happening with all of these protests against injustice and against racism. You know, I'm just uh, busy, like I'm, I'm sure you are as well, just trying to listen to all of the important dialogue happening around the world. It's a full-time job, right? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And it's good to kind of lower our voices sometimes to amplify others, as we've seen over these last couple of weeks, yes. and also bring our own voice out there, uh, as you are as an artist, and as I try to share the art with everybody out there. So agreed, definitely very well said. Let's start with a bit of background, since it's your first time sure. on the show here, um, Rachel. Why don't you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? Oh, that's a fun question. What kind of a kid was I? <laughs> well, I did grow up in the New York area. I was born in Port Chester, New York, and I lived in various parts of Connecticut. And then by the time I was uh, done with college, which was way out west in California, I couldn't wait to move to New York City. But but in between all of that, mm. this is the, the upshot was that I uh, started playing piano when I was two and a half because my parents had one in their living room and neither of them are musical, but thankfully they were thoughtful enough to have that profoundly important piece of furniture. And by mm. the time I was in high school, I was sort of locally dubbed the female Howard Jones of my school because <sighs> I had synthesizers and a four track and I was very into the whole tech thing, which is ironic because now I'm much more organic and into folk instruments primarily but you know if we go through these right. phases <laughs> and um there you go. yeah i think it just evolved really naturally from me being initially more focused on instrumentation and um just the music rather than the lyrics and then by the time i was an angstful teenager you know i had a lot more <laughs> to say and to express and it found its way into the lyrics and I haven't really looked back since, although I'm a little less angsty now, I think. Little less angsty. I like Just that. a little. Very nice. And you identify as a bisexual woman. I want to talk to, um, when did you first kind of make that realization come out to yourself? And when did you kind of find that tribe? Because it's always been a tough road for our bisexual friends that are LGBT. Um, talk about mm -hmm. that journey for you. Sure. Well, I think I knew in my teens that I was someone who could love any kind of person. I just didn't feel any restrictions in that that realm. You know, it was more of a spiritual sense at first. And then, of course, I, I ended up having crushes on various young women. And in college, I definitely had a crush on a particular woman, but nothing much came of it. But I was very aware that that was something that existed. I, I knew the word. I had seen a couple movies where there were 
you know, actresses uh, depicting bisexuality. And, and I thought, you know, sort of casually to myself, like, that seems perfectly normal. Like, you know, I bet at some <laughs> point, you know, that might happen. And, but it wasn't like a, a real light bulb for me. It was just something that always seemed natural and normal to me. And I, I think it was when I was 24 that I did first have my uh, experimentation with all of that. And thankfully, when I finally shared, you know, what I what I defined as my bisexuality at the time with my parents, you know, after the initial shock and confusion, they, they got with the program and they were very accepting and very supportive. So I'm very, very lucky. You know, as far as finding my tribe, you know, it's an interesting way to put it. I, I don't know that I, I really think about it that way because I've just fallen in love with individual human beings through the years. And I have never really looked at it as a tribal kind of thing. <laughs> but I know you mean I like that, really. um, Yeah. I, I have always certainly tried to be authentic and live my life as openly as I can, because I am aware that there are young people all over the country and all over the world who don't have that freedom or they feel like they'll be rejected or they, they know they will be. And so to have examples of people like myself who are open and trying to live as freely as we possibly can, um, just to have examples like us to look to, to be inspired and to know they're not alone, I think it's really, really important. So I do try to right. be proud and and be as open as I can, within reason. That's amazing. <laughs> no, that's a great uh, way to put it. I love the way you said that. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing sure. that. Well, like I said in the intro, we have about at least 20 years of music to go over, but let's start from the diagnosis <laughs> this year. Um, oh, okay. Kind of yeah. give a background of what's happening. Talk about how that came about. Mm-hmm. Um your first kind of initial feelings. I understand that you were in a not super healthy relationship when it happened. That had to be a double whammy for you. Talk about this period of time and how you kind of found the strength to get through those first couple months. Yes. Oh, a lot to uh, unpack there as the kids say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was about a year and a half ago when I was first diagnosed and oh, actually it was a year ago April. Wow. And it, you know, it was through a routine exam. I didn't really have any symptoms. I mean, I didn't feel a hundred percent. So something brought me in to have a checkup after, you know, a, a couple of years of, of ignoring that, that end of my healthcare altogether, because I'm just one of those people who doesn't like to go to the doctor. Shame on right. me. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I just kept seeing all those um, reminders from my health insurance company. I would come home from a tour and I would sort of stick them with a magnet to my fridge. And then eventually I thought this is ridiculous. I live across the street from a Planned Parenthood. So I made an appointment and I went and I had, you know, the usual tests that women have. And I thought everything was fine, you know. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call from them saying that there had been an irregularity. They weren't specific, mm. but they suggested that I make an appointment with a gynecologist as soon as I could. And so that's what I did. And of course, it was very nerve wracking. I didn't quite understand where it would all lead. And um, 
in that next appointment is where my very, very um, intelligent and also very empathetic uh, gynecologist, this, you know, she, she saw something right away that obviously worried her and she wanted to do another test on the spot. And from there, mm. um, I, I received results that following Monday, after I had actually gone back out on the road and done a pride fest in, in Arizona, I got on a plane, you know, and I, I thought everything was going to be fine. I came back that Monday, you know, she, she called me and said, I hope you're sitting down. I have some serious news for you. And it was like a strange, you know, just a dream really. And, but I think it's mm. the best that sometimes we compartmentalize and the brain is an incredible thing. I remember, you know, being scared, but I also remember still being that same person, that same personality. Like I approach everything where all I was thinking was, I need to get a second opinion. I need to see another specialist. I need to start Googling this. I need to research what this is, you know, and I, right, right. I just went into that kind of overdrive. And that's something that I'm also grateful I was able to do because it helped me just literally get the, the best and most important information I could in a hurry. And uh, within a matter of, of weeks, I was uh, having surgery and then radiation and then chemo. So it was a whirlwind. And I, you know, I'm not eager to talk about it much more than that on a specific level, but the upshot course, is sure. I encourage, you know, every woman out there, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what your history, please, please, you know, prevention is the best cure for, especially for um, uterine cancer and specifically endometrial cancer, which is what I had. And I'd never heard of it. You know, they just don't, People don't talk about it because I think they're embarrassed. I don't know what it is, but um, I really hope that through some of this discussion that you are encouraging, so thank you, um, that that stigma can, can be removed and we can just learn to, you know, be on it and, and um, hopefully find these, these problems, you know, a little bit earlier. Um, so it's stage zero or stage one, and then it's much, much easier to treat. There you go, and I appreciate you sharing that, and especially bringing those points. I think they're very important that we realize that, yes, um, it's going to be a little traumatic when you first hear it, but there are ways to kind of start to empower yourself with the knowledge, doing that second mm -hmm. opinion, kind of taking care of yourself, and, and it might not always be you. You might have to have a best friend, mom, dad, whatever it happens to be, a little sister helping yeah. you kind of out with this stuff. But it's great to be able to look at both sides of that and know that it's not the end of anything. It's the start of research and the start of knowledge and start of learning what's happening. And then Yes, I love how you're describing that. Research. Yes. And, you know, for yeah, me personally, well, I also want to say that there were a lot of um, non-Western modalities that helped me through it, including yoga. I joined a group called Yoga for Cancer, um, and they're... Mm -hmm all over the country. There are trained um, yoga teachers and practitioners, um, but it was founded by a woman who had been through cancer herself and who very scientifically researched the benefits of doing yoga and how, you know, breathing and flexibility and, and just the meditative aspect of it as well really, really helps boost the immune system and also continue to keep one's immune system strong and healthy. And, you know, of course, these are things that apply 
to all of us now as we face the uh, the challenges of, of being in a global pandemic. So I learned a lot about mm -hmm. health and wellness in general, and those are lessons I still continue to learn and practice every day. Well, thank you for sharing those. I really appreciate that. Let's go ahead and get into the music. I mean, we're talking... Yeah. What, almost 20 years ago, you start your own record label. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. forethought and in, in new uh, initiative. Talk about um, how that all came about. And I love the name, Empress Records. Oh, Empress thank or, you. Empress for Empress is what I'm thinking it's pronounced. <laughs> you know, I've always ask. gravitated toward words with multiple meanings. And I love the uh, word Empress because it is strong and empowered and and female. But I also like the uh, visual of the M next to the word press, because, of course, that's a little bit more directly um, reflective of running a record label. So um, it's all, you know, it's all in there. <laughs> um, you got leave it. it to, leave it to a lyricist to pick a record label name, right? Um, <laughs> I like but it. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I started it in name only, essentially, in 1995, when I was uh, preparing my, my debut album, Morbid Romantic which was somewhat comprised of, you know, master demos that I've been working on for a couple of years. And then I made some new recordings once I moved to New York after college. So it was an exciting and really creative time for me. And then I put out a handful of albums, basically, you know, just doing it myself, working with my co-producer of many years, Andy Zula. And I was just, you know, selling them from my own website or from, you know, the back of a car or whatever had live at the gig <laughs> and then a couple of years in I had a distributor actually reach out to me and they were called Big Daddy at the time and they wanted to know if my record label needed distribution and it was so exciting to get that call and to feel like wow this is really getting you know quote-unquote professional so I set right. up shop with a fax machine remember those and, um, you know, I sent my albums to college radio and I started slowly but surely touring around the East Coast. And then my my big break, as it were, um, it, it came in the form of an invitation from Ani DeFranco to go on tour with her. So it was a very exciting and inspiring time for me. That is amazing. I love that. That's so cool. Now, talk about. Your your songwriting style, as you said, it's kind of developed over the years. Mm -hmm. um, for you specifically, are you more of a lyric first person or a melody first person, or is it kind of come and go? How how does your process come to you? You know, I used to have one process until I was about 16 years old. <laughs> and that was basically <laughs> going to the piano playing a lot, a lot, a lot for hours and hours and hours. And then certain melodies would kind of reveal themselves to be more lasting mm. than others. And those would be the ones I would remember. And then I would eventually try to write lyrics for those melodies and sort of superimpose them. And I've heard that that's kind of how the Beatles did it, you know, so who knows, but um, you know, they started with nonsense lyrics, etc. And then uh, when I, had my first job, which was working uh, in Ireland for a composer who, the composer who wrote Riverdance, um, Bill Whalen, I didn't have any instruments with me. So I had no way mm. to play piano. And it sort of forced me by necessity 
to start just <laughs> writing in my head or writing in a notebook and then hearing the music in my head. So that's when I shifted more toward starting with the lyrics. And now I think I do equal parts of both. I, I Sometimes I hear a full-blown song in my head, and when I get to an instrument, I can flesh it out. Sometimes I'll be walking down the street, which is a wonderful way to get a rhythm in my body and to start writing you know, to that pattern of what walking, you know, feels like. And, you know, I'll just, I'll have to stop and sit on a park bench and jot down something on a napkin. You know, I I try to have no rules anymore. And as long as the idea comes, I try to respect it and write it down or record it as soon as I can. That's amazing. I love that. Let's talk about character a bit. I mean, Mm -hmm. very uh, 12 tracks is, amazing especially in today's day and age where music is so let's put out one stream at a time and you don't hear the stories anymore and an album really Um, does tell the story and you have a story to tell so i love that you put it out in that type of a collection talk about how that came together for you sure well most of this material was composed as i was um reaching the other side of my recovery and my energy was coming back. So, you know, a lot of people have, uh, you know, had the impression I wrote this while I was ill and I did not at all. I just didn't have that kind of energy or focus. I was just being a patient full time. But as you can imagine, you know, as soon as I started feeling like I was getting my voice back or I could just have the energy to sit at the keyboard you know, ideas started flowing and I was so excited and eager to get back in the studio that knowing, you know, I had a a recording date on the books, which I had, I booked for, I think it was late December uh, or early January. I had five songs at the time and knowing that I had that date set to record, it just made my brain want to write, you know, a bunch more. That's just (laughs) how I work. Uh, I work well under pressure. So you know, one after another, the songs started tumbling out. And the very first one that I wrote was Bravery is on Fire, which actually came out last fall as a single to benefit women's cancer research. So that was oh, really, great. you know, exciting. And it, yeah, it just felt like a good, positive way to give back. And that was also right around when I decided to publicly share my cancer journey um, because I had kept it private until then. Um, so okay. yeah, I think the closer I got to those studio dates, the more the music kept flowing. And um, <laughs> one of the most notable experiences for me was writing Blue Sky Days, which was essentially inspired by the Headspace meditation app. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's basically an app on your phone that for the lazy and clueless meditators among us <laughs> will, will gu- guide us through And uh, you can download all kinds of meditations. But I started from the beginning and there was this beautiful image of, you know, just knowing at all times that those gray or, you know, clouds that we we see, um, that they're going to clear, that there's always a blue sky behind them. And so I just ran with that metaphor and took it as far as I possibly could (laughs) in the area of hope and gratitude. so, yeah, a lot of that theme runs through the rest of the record as well. 
I love that. And I swear by those apps. My latest one is Endel. is my newest meditation mm. app. And I'm wow, I don't it. know that one. Oh, I'll have to check it oh, you out. Gotta check. I think they give like a three-month free trial, too, on it. So it's really nice. nice. It's, it's kind of cycles through the entire day and evening. So I, I'm with oh, you on great. how those go. And the concept behind the video is amazing. You have a bit of a dance oh, background. Thank you. Didn't talk about the concept behind the video. Sure. Oh, my goodness. That was such a fun day. I just really relish that memory. The the young figure skater who stars in the video, her name is Morgan Sage. And it's we're no relation. It's just a coincidence. But I went to college with her mom, and we had fallen out of touch. But we became friends again on Facebook. And one day last year, I just happened to see a little video that she posted of her daughter, Morgan, and her big, beautiful smile and her gorgeous skating just captured me completely. And it was at that point that I, I messaged her and I said, I would love to do a video with Morgan. Let's keep it in mind and try to make it happen. So eventually, you know, we just kept sort of chiseling away at this potential reality and I was able to recruit my longtime video collaborator, Nick Clark, and um, also our wonderful cinematographer who actually ended up directing, um, Mike Flanagan. And before we knew it, we had scheduled a day at a a lovely skating rink in uh, Westchester. And it was my one day off on the tour I did with Howard Jones this past spring uh, in February. And we just you know, we we loaded in and we banged out this video in about three hours. <laughs> it was a whirlwind, <laughs> but, but it was a lot of fun. And I definitely think it captures just the sheer joy of being alive and trying to be present and mindful and all that that entails. I love that. And it's a beautiful video. You guys have to go check this out. And I love that... Um, well, let's let's go back to the album though. I mean, twelve tracks is quite a bit of tracks. Is there any one that really sticks out to you? as, wow, I, that one really said mm. something to me. Yes. Well, I mean, my favorite song on the album is "Blue Sky Days," but I would say that the most fun song that I recorded was "Both Hands," which is actually an Ani DeFranco cover. And I had this idea to do it as a string quartet arrangement. And I was just so thrilled that that concept was able to be realized. You know, sometimes you imagine something crazy like that and you never do it. You end up going in an easier direction or just playing it with your band because the band is there and you love them. And, you know, Um, but in this instance, my wonderful cellist, Dave Egar, was able to help me translate some of my melodic ideas that I sang to him um, into a full-blown string quartet arrangement. And he brought in wonderful players and we recorded it live, completely live in the studio. Um, And there's a video out there for that as well of our incredible day um, in the studio recording together. And it was just a really joyous experience. Fantastic. Well, of course, we are into COVID 2020 and learning the internet and streaming and everything. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit about these streaming. And not only are you giving these amazing concerts twice a week, but you're also using them to give back. And you talked about the importance of that with that first song. Um, talk about that element that you brought to it and what these streaming parties have kind of meant to you over the past month and a half. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to thank everyone who has been tuning in to my Stay In With Sage uh, live streams every Wednesday and Sunday. I mean, these these gatherings and these opportunities to connect and just be together have really been such a lifeline for me, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about them, so that's wonderful, and I'm going to keep doing them. Um, but, yes, we are currently um, – donating to the Audrey Lord Project, which is a wonderful community organization in New York that benefits LGBTQ plus people of color. And I hope everyone will ch- go check them out. Um, but yes, every month I'm rotating a different New York-based charity. And it's my way of just, you know, sending the biggest love letter I can to my beloved hometown I'm not staying there right now. I'm a little bit outside of New York, but I can't wait to go back as soon as it's safe for me. I'm obviously in that vulnerable population where I have to be extra, extra careful. Um, but I, I have dreams every night about being back in the East Village, and I'm just constantly sending all of the workers you know, on the front lines and everyone there, all the essential workers, so much love and uh you know, psychic support. <laughs> so it's good Definitely. to be able to send a little physical support as well. There you go. I love that. And I mean, it's, you've talked, you, you've toured a lot. I mean, uh, an artist is always on the road, but this is also giving you a chance for some huge gigs. I mean, this a week or so ago, you were doing world pride with a bunch of other artists and things. Do you like doing this collaborative part of the streaming? Is that kind of fun for you? Oh, I love it. You know, it's very new to me and it can be a little overwhelming because I'm not the most technically inclined, but (laughs) I, in addition to uh, Global Pride, which has been really exciting to be part of with so many amazing artists, um, I've also been doing some some gigs sponsored by venues as far away as London. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be more of that. And I've also just done a, a collaboration with the wonderful anti-bullying organization free to love. And um, I don't know, I'm just, you know, the door is open and I'm putting myself out there just like I would for regular touring. And I hope that I get to keep doing these, you know, these collaborative live streams. I'm also working on a new recording project, uh, which is a spoken word based project. And I'm sending musical ideas back and forth with various musicians so we'll see where that goes wow. to. Ooh, congratulations on that. You'll have to come back when that comes together. That sounds amazing. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, it should be really interesting. I, You know, I'm a bit of a control freak in the studio, admittedly. So, <laughs> you know, have, producing and, and curating remotely is its own, you know, zen process of letting go. But it's exciting and an adventure. So exciting a time. I mean, it's a weird time. It's a new time. We're all learning mm-hmm. a little something, obviously. But yeah. it's just exciting that you're still able to get music out there, that we're able to do the streams and get get everyone to know about it. And um, my fellow brother and sister podcasters and magazines doing so good during this time, making sure people mm-hmm. stay noticed because you guys are doing some amazing work and really bringing healing to us as well as this you you are too my friend you're giving the platform for all of that healing so 
every bit as important, if not more so. So thank you. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Back at you. Well, I appreciate it. It's such a great time to have you on, Rachel. Let everyone know where they can find this music. Give the YouTube because I've seen the videos and I love all of them. I mean, you have a great, you've had your oh, page for a while, so you. we can see lots of music through the ages, which is amazing. Give them a, yes. a YouTube page, give them social media, and give the website because your website is fantastic as well. Sure. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, you can find all the links to all my social media and YouTube right on my homepage at rachelsage.com. And I spell that a little quirky. It's R-A-C-H-A-E-L sage.com. And my YouTube is just slash Rachel Sage. Um, Twitter, same thing, at Rachel Sage. Um, My Facebook is a little quirkier. It's facebook.com slash Rachel Sage page. And I guess what am I leaving out? Instagram is Rachel underscore Sage. But there's no way you're going to remember all that. So just go to my website. <laughs> there and you then go. You link exactly. to everything from there. Fantastic. Well, we have brand new album, brand new songs being released. In fact, we're going to play out to another new song, Catch the Light, that you put up the lyric video to. Talk about yeah. that song a little bit. What does that song mean? Oh, that song was basically a prayer that came together. Uh, again, while I was recovering. But the interesting thing about it is that I wrote the music for it when I was in seventh grade. And it was an instrumental. And I was invited to perform at my seventh grade, you know, junior high school graduation. And I remember, I mean, I can really remember the moment where I was sitting at the piano and playing this music as part of an assembly. And years and years later, it just, you know, it called to me and I, I set the, the music to lyrics. So it's kind of a, a collaboration between my childhood and my adulthood. Oh, my goodness. How great is that? Fantastic. Well, we are going to play that out. I'm excited to hear about the Spoken Word Project. Um, is is Once you finish and complete an album like this, is it uh, – are you able to turn it off or do you still have songs and ideas hitting you all the time? Are you still writing or is this kind of promotion time and uh, get out there and kind of just get the world better? You know, it's both. It's both. I think whatever time I have, I tend to fill as much as I can. Um, It's just the nature of my personality, but I am doing a bit of promotion, but I'm also making sure to write on a daily basis because I need to do that for my health and sanity. (laughs) So I won't be stopping writing anytime soon. Well, nice. But we need to hear it for our uh, embodiment as well. I appreciate that. Rachel Sage, it's been amazing having you on the Leftist Rage Show today. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Happy Pride. There you go. Stay on the line for me, Rachel. We're going to play out to catch the light. Be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
guys and gals we are back that again was rachel sage guys thanks so much for tuning in tonight really appreciate you coming in for a music monday a big shout out to nat puff left at london for coming on the show tonight and of course rachel sage two amazing women two amazing stories appreciate both of them so much again we miss zach today zach day is out with covid you have a chance, give him a little uh, cheer up message on Instagram or Twitter. It's 
at you know Zach, Y-O-U-K-N-O-W-Z-A-C-H. Give him a little word of encouragement. He is not feeling good at all. Luckily, he has not had to go in the hospital as of yet. We're hoping he can avoid that, but he is in a little bit of pain. So, Zach, we love you, buddy. Hope you feel better soon. And I appreciate everything you do for the Left of Straight Show when you give us your Monday Musical Minute. Tomorrow, guys, we're going to be back all week, Monday through Friday this week, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time every single night. And tomorrow we have two very special interviews to do. We're going to talk to Patrick Hines first. Patrick is a producer and podcaster for the Obsessed Network. He does a true crime a podcast that has over three and a half million downloads a month. True crime is like one of the most popular forms of podcast in the country right now. So he's just been killing it. He started out doing Broadway, uh, has a fantastic husband and a beautiful little daughter. We're going to talk to him for a little bit tomorrow. And then I'm going to have on an amazing actor, dancer, model, fitness instructor. He does it all. Richard Biglia. He is a handsome Brazilian who's been in the States for quite a while now and making his mark in Hollywood. And uh, he's, he's just a great guy. We had a great conversation the other day. So tomorrow night going to be Patrick Hines and Richard Biglia joining me. So I'm looking forward to that. So we'll be here 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Be sure again to follow on social media at Left of Straight uh, for myself, at Left of Straight Radio for the interns. If you missed any episode, just go to your favorite podcast distributor, hit the little subscribe button. I appreciate that. And if you really like an episode, please go ahead and give it a five-star rating. The better ratings we have, the more we get in the search engines to get a higher ranking and more people can find us. And I appreciate that as well. So thanks again. Have a great evening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. For the Left of Straight Show, this is Scott Fullerton. Bye-bye.